Welcome back to another episode of Colony Drop. My name is Brian. And my name is Isaac. And this is a podcast about the long-running anime series Mobile Suit Gundam. We talk about everything from the manga to the anime series to the models to the upcoming live-action film and really anything even remotely related to Gundam. That's right. We celebrate the entire meta-genre. Oh, yeah. Every series, every universe, all the time. So, Isaac, what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about a very special topic. Our namesake, Brian. We're talking about colony drops. Bum, bum, oh, bum, bum. so near and dear <laughs> to our hearts. What is a colony drop, Brian? Can you tell our listeners for the might not be in the know? A colony drop is, at this point, probably a trope that, as far as I'm aware, was created by Gundam. It basically is a scenario where a faction, whether it's Xeon or maybe someone on the Federation side, get so upset at the other side, they decide to take the most extreme action possible and use a colony as a weapon by directing it toward a target and, for lack of a better word, dropping it on that target, causing massive damage, massive casualties, climate problems, tectonic problems, just overall death and destruction as far as the eye can see. I couldn't have said it better myself, Brian. A colony drop is its an, an act of war an atrocity, and a weapon of mass destruction on a scale not seen in our century, in our timeline. That is correct. One might say you have to travel to the universal century of Mobile Suit Gundam uh, to see a colony drop. <laughs> exactly. Or other centuries, uh, or other timelines, I guess you could say, other universes. Um, what makes colony drops so devastating is that these aren't just, you know, your run-of-the-mill space stations that are kind of hovering in space that you see in other sci-fi genres these are massive structures miles kilometers long also in circumference who knows how much they weigh they're they're big enough that they hold millions of people living long durations in space when they fall they fall with such impact and devastating force that it literally can change the environmental patterns of Earth. That's nuts. It is pretty nuts. And that's why they're so effective. And what I really like about Colony Drops, or just the phrase Colony Drop, which is why we named ourselves Colony Drop, is it's a very Gundam thing. Like, I don't, I can't think <laughs> of really other sci-fi series that do this. Maybe, maybe it's done in some things, but definitely not as with as much frequency as it happens in Mobile Suit Gundam. And so I feel like if you say the phrase Colony Drop, everybody knows, hey, you're talking about Gundam, right? Exactly, yeah. Uh, I don't think there's other anime that they're kind of famous for dropping colonies or repeatedly dropping massive structures. <laughs> there might be anime where, like, you know, there's big fleet battles or they, you know, deploy super weapons to blow up planets and stuff. But <laughs> colony drops repeatedly? No. That's definitely a Gundam thing. <laughs> yeah, maybe one here or there, but not as a constant threat. Today we're, we're planning on going through all of the colony drops that we're aware of mm-hmm. and kind of just giving a summary of each one and how it affects the Gundam universe as a whole. So I think what we'll do is start with Universal Century, which is the main Gundam timeline, and then proceed to any other of the alternate universes that have some colony drops. What do you think, Isaac? I like it. We'll start in UC, where it all started, and then from there, we'll just kick the uh, kick the can down the road as we look at, as our car drives <laughs> down the freeway, looking at every, every massive pileup that is a colony <laughs> drop. <laughs> Okay, Brian, you're inside a colony. It's about to be dropped, or it's going to be dropped. Do you want to be gassed, or are you? Do you want to go down and, and enjoy the ride? Oh man, that's terrible. I don't know. I think. Well, I don't. I definitely don't think I want to be gassed. 
I think if I was in a colony and I knew it was going to be dropped, I feel like I would try to escape somehow because you know it, it's pretty far. It doesn't happen you know within feel, within an hour or two. Yeah, I mean, okay, we know if you get to Earth, you'll be cooked alive, right? Because these colonies turn red hot and white hot as they uh, well, not the Dublin one, <laughs> as they as they go through the Earth's atmosphere because they they just generate so much heat. But now that you mentioned it, Brian, yeah, let's assume, all right, the colony's dropping and wh- whatever bad guy faction's doing this, they'd already destroyed, like, all the shuttle bays and all that. You could conceivably put on a normal suit, right, and just hop out a hatch. I think so, yeah. I mean, given no yeah. other choice, I would prefer to take that action than go and uh, attempt re-entry. If you stay on that colony, there's a lot of ways to die. One, someone's going to come gas you because apparently that's just what Gundam does. <laughs> um, to these colony inhabitants. Two, you may not make it through reentry. Um, and then three, you're definitely going to die on impact. <laughs> so, <laughs> not if you're landing on Dublin, <laughs> the uh, the city made of stone. <laughs> yeah, if if you land in Dublin, your house may just get slightly reoriented. If you land on Dublin, you should open <laughs> a hatch and like walk out. And <laughs> oh, hey, yeah. Oh boy. So yeah, Isaac, why don't you why don't you start us off and and tell us what the very first colony drop was? And I should say that this is the colony drop that is the colony drop. When you say colony drop, this is the one that probably most people think of or most people refer to. All right, the first colony drop was conducted by the bad guys of Gundam 0079, and they are, of course, the Principality of Zeon. They dropped a colony under Operation British, which was their plan to use a massive colony have it drop onto Earth and destroy the Earth Federation's military headquarters, Jabrow, in South America. Unfortunately for Xeon, <laughs> the Federation wasn't just going to stand around and let that happen. So <laughs> in the course of a battle, the uh, colony ended up falling uh, not on South America, but on Sydney. And it completely destroyed Sydney and uh, a sizable part of Australia. The colony drop killed billions of people and affected Earth's weather patterns for a while. I I wasn't aware of the scale of the drop when I initially watched the series. I knew it destroyed a lot of Australia, but I wasn't aware that it killed billions just through the tsunamis and weather changes it caused around the world, the earthquakes, and I had no idea it caused lasting effects on the Earth's atmosphere. So. Yeah, I mean, colony drops kill in multiple ways, right? One, you're probably killing everyone inside the colony, which, like you said, is millions of people in <laughs> worst-case scenario. A crime in and of itself. <laughs> yes, I mean, that that should be enough right there. But then you, you've got the, the impact, which everyone in a huge you know radius is basically fried. And I think in the Operation British example, Sydney, I believe... The resulting crater can be seen from space because it's 300 miles wide, <laughs> roughly. That's right. Oh, yeah. Uh, if, you, if you remember in 0083, I think maybe the first episode or something, uh, when Nina was on the Albion, you know, she was admiring the ocean. And I think Captain Synapse says, you know, we're actually over Australia. We're not really over the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, oh, wow. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, turns out those colonies, they can make a big... A big splash. Uh, oh, <laughs> And then, like you said, after the impact, you got more problems, right? You, you kick up dust, which causes climate change, blocks out the sun. What happens when the sun doesn't shine? Your crops die and famine results, so no one can eat. So then everyone dies from that. 
I mean, just talk about affecting life in, in every possible negative way you can. I mean, it's just a it's just a terrible move. You know what? I'm going to chalk up the the invention of Colony Drops, the father of Colony Drops. It was probably Girin. I don't see anybody else in Xeon cooking up something <laughs> so evil and, and like practical at the same time, right? This was quite the way to uh, turn uh, lemons into lemonade, I guess. You know, you have these colonies where everyone inside is dead or you just conquered that side. Might as well drop one, right? And you're, you think nothing of the people anyways. Yeah, I mean, that, that was their biggest and greatest weapon next to mole yeah. suits. So That's yeah, like crazy. you said, this Operation British was carried out on January 3rd. 0079. I think that's the first official day of the one year war. I think there were some skirmishes before that, but it's definitely part of like the one week battle that started the war. And the colony was named Island Ifish, and it was the Federation's capital colony inside too. So not only did they use a colony, but they used the Federation's capital colony. <laughs> and what did they do before they dropped the colony, Isaac, for the people living in the colony? They were gassed. They were gassed by. <laughs> If you ever watched WA3, Shima's fleet, they were responsible for gassing the colonies. Mm-hmm. Um, supposedly, they weren't aware what they were doing, but I never completely bought that story. Maybe they weren't aware of what the specific military equipment they were moving into the colony was, but you know they clearly had a hand in it. I'm kind of conflicted by different accounts. There's... In Origin, you see them moving really giant gas canisters into the colony and then really pumping it through the air circulation system. In the 08th MS team, Shiro's flashbacks show that Zaku's pretty much just marched in with, um, you know, these uh, gas grenades and just took out the colony that way. So it's... No matter... Well, there's different there's different recountings of exactly what happened, but at the end of the day, everybody got gassed. <laughs> right, yeah. The, you had to know you were doing something bad, I suppose. Yeah. Let me ask you this. All you listeners in Australia, listen up. <laughs> Depending on the time or the location in space where the Federation actually managed to divert the colony from landing on Jabrel, do you think they had time to warn Australia or at least even calculate that it was possibly going to land in Australia? Or do you think there was just no time by the by the time it had been diverted from South America, you know, wherever it was going to land, there was just no realistic time to evacuate um, population centers? Well, I think it's probably relative, right? I mean, it, it certainly is not going to happen in 10 minutes. But at the same time, it caused a 300-mile-wide crater. So yeah. even if you get to the next town or three towns over or five towns over, I don't know that that was really going to help you if you were in the path. You know, you, you basically would have needed to get to the opposite side of the country or you just you needed to get off the continent in general and there's no way that that many people can evacuate a continent all at the same time, even given, I would say, weeks of preparation. Yeah, now that you say it, that makes perfect sense. Even if they knew it was heading towards Australia, you would have to have all the logistical support of whatever Federation, you know, naval fleets and air transportation units would really have to be almost globally redirected to evacuate a city of millions or yeah and it could take weeks yeah. to sail there you know right. from, so from wherever was, your boat is it's almost more of a mercy not to tell them that there's a colony about to drop <laughs> they, they will notice finer, <laughs> let them have the final those final minutes in peace <laughs> yeah so you know pretty much sydney was gone the continent of australia was just heavily damaged uh like you said and then 
I do think that maybe this is actually, although it's the first drop, it does seem to be the one that caused the most damage. Would you, would you agree with that? You know what? I agree with that, and I'd go a step further. If it landed on Jabrow, there's a possibility that the war would have been over. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. It, definitely a lot of Federation units would have kept fighting just from what we've seen about Federation characters. But they would have been more of a, a resistance, I think, if Federation leadership itself would have surrendered after the destruction of their headquarters. Yeah, it certainly would have taken a very different turn, at a minimum, for sure. But it did lead to the Antarctic Treaty. It did, and that's that, true. That precluded uh, colony drops until the end of the war. And in, in Zeon's <laughs> defense, and uh, as a testament to their uh, their belief in following along with what they signed, they did not do another colony drop. <laughs> they, well, they did attempt one uh, after Operation British, uh, like two weeks later during the Battle of Loom. They were trying to steal a colony from side five. That colony was called Watahot, I believe. Wadahot. And uh, presumably they were going to target Jabrao again. But that one, the, the Federation completely foiled. You know, Zeon used nukes and uh, basically all of side five was destroyed, including the, the colony that they wanted to drop. Um, <laughs> and then right after that is, is actually when they when they signed that the Antarctic Treaty, which, like you said, banned the use of nuclear, biological, chemical weapons and colony drops. That's interesting. So that means that there's a certain point where a colony's just been husked and blown out so much that you can't really propel it to Earth, I guess, or it would it would collapse on the way, or maybe um, really the only way to move a colony is it needs its original big old thrusters that got into position in the first pace, and, and once those are gone, that's it. You you can't really drop the colony. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's probably a, a few ways to do it, and and all of them require significant effort. My understanding is that the one that they dropped in Operation British, they had to attach nuclear thrusters to it in order to move it. Uh, this is my own head cannon here, but maybe that's why that one did so much more damage. Maybe some of the reactors on those thrusters also blew up. Good point. You know, yeah, while while it on impact, I'm not sure. Particularly the colony in Operation British uh, <laughs> led led to the signing of the Antarctic Treaty because everybody saw what, what happened. <laughs> I don't say this that often, but in defense of the Federation, um, this was their first time dealing with any type of colony drop, let alone a drop of a huge object from space. So I think they did their best, and the best they could have done was divert it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's certainly a win, right? I assume they would have preferred it didn't hit at all, but got to try something, right? You can't just let it come in at you um, and, and do nothing. Isaac, do you know why they called it Operation British? Um, oh, I think they explained in origin, but I forgot. Drop some knowledge on me, Brian. Tell me why. <laughs> so apparently, uh, I saw this on the wiki, but in the uh, source book called Gundam Century, which was published in 1981, oh. and apparently it was named that because decolonization uh, led to the collapse of the British Empire. So if you're gearing and you're trying to be cheeky, you want to get back at the Empire who's oppressing you. It's an it's a okay. appropriate name. <laughs> oh, Guerin. Yeah. You're such a sassy guy. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, one final note on Operation British before we move on is that there's a map at some point in Iron-Blooded Orphans uh, that uh-huh. shows Australia, and Iron-Blooded Orphans does not take place in the Universal Century. Uh, it's a True. separate kind of universe. But their map of Australia had, does have a uh, large hole in it, presumably you know, homage uh, to Operation British. That just means the Calamity War would have been awesome to watch in a series <laughs> because it was so devastating that parts of continents are missing. <laughs> if you would like to see Operation British, you can see that in the original Mobile Suit Gundam from 1979. They uh, also recreate it in Gundam Unicorn and also in Gundam The Origin. 
It's an important event. It's kind of like the first, you know, nuclear explosion or, you know, the first use of nuclear weapons in a war. It's the first colony drop in Gundam. Everybody knows about it. You might not know about the other ones, but it's pretty common to know about this one, I feel, as a fan. I agree. So number one, Operation British. Number two, the attempted failure at the Battle of Loom. Mm-hmm. And number three, probably from your favorite series, what is it? Yeah, that would be Operation Stardust, led by our man, Aguil de Laz of the Zalaz fleet. He uh, hijacked a colony that was under construction, I believe, and then he he pulled a fast one on the Federation, Brian. First, he made it look like it was going to the Luna, and then on Luna, <laughs> his accomplices boot up their, I guess it was laser transmitted uh, energy. They powered up the uh, the depleted energy reserves of the colony. The colony now had the energy to propel itself on its own, and it propelled towards Earth, where it ultimately impacted in North America. I always felt that this was maybe one of the, the mysteries of 83. It always paused me for a bit, and I think it did maybe you too, the fact that they didn't target Jabrow when it looked like very clearly that they, they could have gotten away with it. <laughs> Even the Federation characters thought they were targeting Jabrow to the last minute until I think Gato is in like the, the control room of the colony and he says the target is in Jabrow. It's North America. <laughs> That's right. I was like, what? Yes. <laughs> what are you doing? Yes. There's, there's, I think there's several reasons for that. I agree. I think this was probably the, the most creative colony drop. Delaz arranges for two colonies to be stolen from, I believe, like you said, uh, either construction or I think this might have been around the time that the Federation was moving the colonies around. Oh, and yeah, I, I think he, that. Yeah, yeah, I think he took them out of their transport path and moved them so that they were projected to go to the moon. But like you said, he, he faked them out at the last minute and he, he actually bounced the colonies off of each other. I think I remember now he blew off like the panels on both of them so that they would lose balance and collide. Yep. And then, oh, that was that famous scene where Nina's like has these two glasses, these two empty yep. glasses on the table. Mm-hmm. And she's like explaining to everybody with, the, with yep. her little props, like how this is actually going to cause the colonies to become a colony drop. <laughs> yep. They were uh, Islands Ease and Blade from side one. And mm-hmm. I believe Ease was the one that ended up falling to earth i'm not actually sure i couldn't really find what happened to blade maybe it just kind of spiraled out of control and you know is traveling through space well if they're uh, equal weight and yeah if they're <laughs> equal weight they collide i imagine you know the other one was moved in just the opposite direction of luna yeah it's sure okay it's sure, out there somewhere yeah, <laughs> yeah i'm sure they had to send a fleet to go like figure out how to boot up its uh, thrusters and get it back into position or something <laughs> so ease makes its way down impacts the north american continent and I believe the reasoning given in the show is that it's to disrupt the Federation's food supply because that's where a lot of the food is grown on Earth at this point. But like I you just, said, everyone <laughs> everyone thought it was uh, it was Jabrow. But what is the reason it can't be Jabrow, Isaac? I, I I'm stumped. I can only assume that I don't know <laughs> why couldn't it be Jabrow? <laughs> well, logically, it should be Jabrow, but. I assume, because we already know that w- there had been series after this one, chronologically, and oh, Jabra was not blown up by a colony. Therefore, you know, you can't contradict continuity. So Yeah. This is almost becomes like the forgotten colony drop, though, because th- nobody ever references, you know, the colony falling on North America. Well, actually, I guess as this, as the UC goes on, at a certain point, they stop like referring to previous colony drops to an extent because <laughs> so many yeah. of them have happened that you know it's. But I always thought it was so such a weird decision in the story to say that it 
it fell on North America to affect food production. I that always was just so weird to me. So the Delosley's plan was to make everybody in the Earth sphere hungry. Um, <laughs> is that food production only for Earth? So the colonies wouldn't be affected, and it was just sort of payback, and making food prices on Earth rise. It it never really felt completely well thought out to me. It might have almost even been better if it originally was going to go to Jabrow, but I don't know. Just edit that scene so that Nina and Co. kind of talk sense in Agato and he decides to, you know, redirect it or something. I don't know. Yeah, it may yeah. have made more sense had they just said, oh, it, the course has been, you know, diverted so much yeah. so that we can't get into Jabra, but the next biggest damage we can do is take out their food supply. There that that I could that I could buy. Yeah. For all we know, Agato was lying. I mean, maybe he wanted to save face since he knew he couldn't maneuver the colony where he wanted to because... That that was probably I think the first time we or maybe the only time we see a colony get cooked by a solar system. I doubt it would still have the uh, the capacity to maneuver as well as it could have compared to a colony that didn't get cooked. <laughs> and man, what I really like about Operation Stardust, we see so many angles of that colony going down. We see you know the Federation side where they're trying to just sort of blast it. After a while, we see them fail when they try to cook it with the uh, the solar system. We even see on Earth as the, as it flies overhead um, where Admiral Cohen's at. It's just so many different shots of the colony falling. It's, it's so many yeah. reminders of their failures. Yeah, pretty. Oh God, <laughs> nobody fails at stopping a colony drop like the Federation. <laughs> I had a few observations about this colony drop. One, I, I assume these colonies that they stole were not populated, particularly I because they, I believe yeah. Delaz had Shima steal them. And if she was already upset about gassing, you know, the colony from Operation British, I assume she would not do so here. That's true. Actually, nah, that's a good point, Brian. I assume one of the whole reasons he wanted to ally with her, despite her reputation, was that, you know, who who knows better than how to... I guess infiltrate a colony than the the unit that was respond the fleet responsible for sneaking in and gassing a colony, but yeah, I do specifically remember that these colonies were literally being transported by like one ship, so they yeah they had to have been emptied. Yeah, okay, I, I agree. I think that makes the most sense. Um, I, I guess one thing to note here that's interesting is that the impact of this colony drop, or at least the the aftermath, I suppose, is that Gato, Delaz, and Shima are all dead. They all die. And really, Delaz kind of gets what he wanted, right? I mean, Operation Stardust had multiple goals. One was, I think, to expose corruption in the Federation by by presenting, look, they made a Gundam that violates the Antarctic Treaty, which yeah. they they were already asking for, for trouble doing that. Let, I mean, let's be honest here. Uh, <laughs> in the Federation's defense, the, the group that signed the Antarctic Treaty besides them was gone. It was the Republic of Zeon now. But yeah, <laughs> anyways, right. I, I digress. Yeah. yeah. And his other goal was to, you know, inspire a new Zeon, which that sort of happened with, ne- with Neo Zeon coming up in a few years. But I think what he really did was create the Titans. Yeah. And you know what? The group of Federation officers that were clearly allowing Operation Stardust to progress, they that was their whole plan, more or less. You know, Operation Stardust more or less got as far as it did and was as successful or failed as it was, as it failed because of this group that would eventually be uh, Titans. You know, they were pretty much proto-Titans. I was trying to find, like, the meaning behind Operation Stardust, the name, and I couldn't find a, a real meaning. But really? I did notice that, yeah, do you know, do you know why, or do you know why it's called Operation Stardust? Yeah, it's from a speech by Guerin. 
at the Battle of Alaku. You remember he's in like the carrier and he like gives a speech on like this um cherry picker. <laughs> he gets on like this he gets on like I think this I do of, like, remember the cherry picker. Yeah, he gets on like this like crane thing and like decides to talk to like all the uh the pilots that happen to be in the room. <laughs> Anyways, he says uh, we will turn our enemies into stardust. Oh so okay. I, yeah. Got yeah, it. I sorry, sorry for all our listeners. I memorized all of Kieran's <laughs> fascist space fascist uh, speech. <laughs> got it, got it. I, okay, I was thinking. I instantly put two and two together. Went to Laz, who's uh, you know Gearin's biggest, uh, his, 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 the president of the Gearin fan club. He <laughs> he decided to name this Operation Stardust. I was like, oh, of course he did. <laughs> yeah, well, he he was a big fan of Gearin. The second choice was a uh, Gearin is handsome. Operation Gearin is handsome. <laughs> Operation Garen, why did you leave me? Yes, come back. <laughs> Please, Garen. You should yeah. add that to the wiki because that's not on there. I mean, it might not be official, but in my head canon, it's official because it's clearly something Garen said. And I would imagine Dillaz wasn't in the room. Obviously, he was on his ship, but he was probably listening in as the speech was broadcast, I assume, to all Xeon forces. So that's something he memorized since it was one of the last things Garen probably said that he heard. Well, plus, Delaz is a subscriber to Giran's brand of Zeon. I mean, he retreated from Abawaku once Giran died. He did not stick around for the rest of the battle. Yeah, you got me there. Yeah, why, 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 why take orders from Kaecilia? <laughs> I mean, she he didn't last much longer. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how close Delaz was to like the zombies because he instantly knew the moment that Giran was reported as dead that Kaecilia was responsible for his death. <laughs> <laughs> that Kaecilia. So maybe Gearing gave him instructions or something, or at least a heads up. Like, if anything happens to me, there's only one person who's behind it, you know? <laughs> yeah, maybe they were like, you know, poker pals. Maybe they played poker on the weekends or something. Probably. He could he could read Kaecilia like a book. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I enjoy Xeon, I'm going to have to say that this was a half failure, a half success. Delaz kind of went down in history as being competent enough that he could have pulled, that he did pull off, you know, a colony drop with really just a few ships. And a few, um, you know, small amount of mobile suits, but at the same time, it didn't bring back the principality of Zeon and what I imagine Delaz would have wanted. It brought back Neo Zeon, recreated Neo Zeon and the Titans and the Aug. <laughs> <laughs> so not not the result that Delaz would have wanted, but um, you know what? Delaz gets an A for effort. He did a great job in the uh, the whole operation overall, taking out the naval review and doing a colony drop. That's a lot for one man. Oh yeah, I think he got it done yeah. for sure. It just the the result is probably not exactly what he wanted. All right, so moving on, the next one I have on my list is when the Titans, uh, the the organization created as a result of Delaz's colony drop in the UCW eighty three, decide to launch their own colony drop on the lunar city of Von Braun in UCW eighty seven during Mobile Suit Zeta Gundam, and they do this because Von Braun is sort of this city that aids and abets the AUG, but unfortunately for the Titans, those meddling AUG teenagers redirect the colony and it lands somewhere else on the moon's surface, you know, in a little uninhabited area, so it causes minimal damage. And uh, I guess my only comment on this one, because it failed, it really didn't do much. Up until now, Xeon, they were the only people doing the, the colony dropping. So if you needed any more evidence that the Titans were evil, you know, the, <laughs> this this is your evidence right here. Exactly. I I figured the 
the officers in the Titans, having been on the other side of a calling drop for so long, maybe jumped at the chance to <laughs> gain, gain the military knowledge that they'd gain by by attempting their own colony drop. <laughs> At the same time, like I'm not too familiar with the, the the aerospace mechanics, the orbital mechanics of dropping large objects on the moon. But th- since the moon has lower gravity, would an impact be less severe if you're dropping something on it? Not even on von Braun, but you know, like you said, they had to drop it on an unpopulated area of the moon. <laughs> would yeah, that thing would... just crack like an egg and <laughs> cause even more problems for Earth? <laughs> the destruction of Earth. <laughs> it would certainly probably be a little different, but. Maybe if it was, you know, a more populated area, we would we would know more about it, about what happens, at least in universe. Yeah, I mean, in the real world, I'm not sure how it would differ. It would still be a, a huge kinetic impact. Um, yeah, the moon's so much smaller. I wonder if it was just terrifying being in the lunar cities, feeling that fall, because even if you didn't see it, because you're on the other side of the moon, uh, since it's such a smaller, you know, surface area, it, it, it might have been a devastating earthquake. It might have even actually been worse because the moon has no atmosphere to, you know, a normal colony going through Earth's atmosphere. Some of it might burn off, like the mirrors probably detach, and then you're only left with the the central cylinder. But I don't think anything would detach or burn off if it goes to the moon. So you might end up with actually more mass hitting the moon, which probably not good for the moon. (laughs) No, I I would be concerned about the uh, structural integrity of the... uh... The lunar body. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So one thing I could not find uh, on this colony is what happened to the colony's inhabitants. Given, though, that it was a Titan, I'm going to guess <laughs> that they gassed them. <laughs> we know exactly what happened to the colony's inhabitants. <laughs> and I couldn't actually find what colony was used either. Uh, I, I believe it's just sort of an unnamed colony from Side 4. Oh, so in that case, there's possible, I guess, that it was under construction or something, but... Could be, uh, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, the next colony drop I have on my list is probably the one that uh, you think is the funniest. Uh, <laughs> it's the funniest and also the worst. <laughs> why, don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Okay. <laughs> this colony drop is from, I believe it's from Double Zeta. <laughs> what happened is Neozeon took a colony and they're going to drop it on Earth. At the time, I believe the capital for the Federation was in Dublin and Neil Zeon decides to drop this colony on Dublin. But for whatever reason, I don't know if this was an animation choice or some other technological change that they made in the, uh, the, the, the world of the story. This colony doesn't fall apart or anything. I don't even think it heats up, Brian. It just sort of slowly <laughs> lands and stays in contact once it lands on Dublin. And it lands upright, too, like like a Coke can set down on like your table or your desk. It's just pointing straight up. <laughs> Isaac and I always compare colony drops to lawn darts. Because when the colony lands, it lands at this angle and it kind of sticks up. Uh, but normally the colonies after that kind of either blow up or disintegrate or kind of fall apart. Uh, but like you said, this one kind of just plants itself in the ground and kind of just it just stands there. You know, Dublin was destroyed. It was it was basically leveled as a result of the impact. It created a lot of tectonic problems like uh, earthquakes and um, like some volcanic eruptions apparently. But I guess Double Zeta as a show is is very odd. We can maybe go into that another day. And so, appropriately, the colony drop in in Double Zeta is weird as well. 
it's just overall lore breaking. This is the colony drop that's maybe closest to like the hold on maneuver in Star Wars. <laughs> it, it just it doesn't make a lot of sense that a colony would be able to fall to Earth, not even heat up, not even start falling apart, and then land so slowly and stay intact once it lands on Earth. I almost wish they redid it or something, but it it's the bad colony drop in all of fandom. It's the worst one that yeah. that kind of breaks the. Uh, the suspension of dis of disbelief and the the logic of the story, the logic of the science that we've come to believe in the technology and the world that they built. It's it's the bad colony drop. I don't like it. It didn't make any sense. It gave off very little shockwaves when it did land. And I mean people just keep continue fighting around it, you know. They should have been vaporized by the by the impact. Not something I enjoy seeing because it, it makes me groan. <laughs> like you said, Neo Zeon dropped this colony. They were led by Haman Khan. She dropped this colony in order to sort of demonstrate her power and try to intimidate the Earth Federation government into to giving her a, I don't want to say a treaty, but yeah, uh, I don't know, what, you, an agreement. Favorable terms and an agreement. Yes, yes. Yeah. Didn't really work out. I mean, she kind of blew up Dublin, but all the, the Federation brass, they kind of just evacuated. They didn't bother to really help out any of the uh, Dublin inhabitants, though. And apparently they knew they didn't have to because that colony stayed intact. <laughs> I believe their reasoning given in the show was that they decided that, well, if people die, that that would be less people that they needed to feed. Uh, That's terrible. Again. But that yeah, does yeah. make perfect sense going off of uh, 0083 and the fact that there's not that much food going around. Yeah. So there you go. It's all it's all in continuity, I think. Gato's assault on you know the Midwest cornfields ended up having a real impact. <laughs> Gato was a wiser guy than I thought. He he, he was reading all the uh, economic reports coming from the Federation. He was reading about the speeches from the Secretary of Agriculture. <laughs> yeah. So I think if you take anything away from that from that colony drop on Dublin, is that one, the colony drop didn't make any sense based on the impact, and two, everyone involved in that colony drop was a real jerk. Um, Haman killed everyone, and the people, the leaders of the people that she killed, didn't really care. So pretty much, yeah. We're going to move on because that's a terrible <laughs> calling drop. <laughs> All right. What's the uh, next one, Brian? The next one on my list, it occurs on March 3rd of UC0093. This is the opening battle in the uh, movie Char's Counterattack, uh, where Char and his Neo Zeon drop a, a mining asteroid called Fifth Luna onto Tibet. And basically, Amuro Ray and his anti terrorist group, Londo Bell, so they fail to stop the colony drop. And I'd say it drops in the, what, first 10 minutes of the movie? Pretty much. It's like the opening. Like, you know things are bad. If, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know this, this Neil's Young Groove is very small, but they're very good at what they do. <laughs> yes. Yes, they are very effective. So this happens in the first bit of the movie. And at this point, like like you just said, we're so used to colony drops at this point. They just kind of just assume that, oh, that, yep, they're dropping another colony. That That's happening. And um, <laughs> it happens in, you know, Probably billions of people die because this is Tibet. That's a very, you know, populated area of the world. Again, it doesn't just affect Tibet; it affects Tibet and everything within hundreds of miles of Tibet. So, you know, Asia's taken a huge hit here, and they're probably one of the most they well, they are the most populated area on the planet. So, True. I think we comfortably yeah. estimate the deaths in the in the billions. And so, Ashar Ashar did this drop so that he could pressure the Federation government into giving him a, a quick favorable agreement, similar to something, I guess, that Haman wanted. And as part of that agreement, he gets the Federation government to give him the old uh, asteroid base, Axis. And then what does he do with Axis, Isaac? 
he decides to throw that thing at Earth. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So he he drops he drops an asteroid to get another one so that he can drop that one too. If that if the that Federation sense. government is incompetent. <laughs> <laughs> this they is are. the equivalent of like this is the equivalent of being nuked and then like selling your enemy like a nuclear weapon. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. You got nuked, and then the, the enemy, you said, please don't nuke me anymore. What would you like? And they asked for a nuke, and then you gave them a nuke, and then they nuked you again. <laughs> you gave so, them a bigger nuke than the one they just used on you. <laughs> that's true. They did give him back a bigger nuke, because Axis was much bigger than Fifth Luna. Axis, oh God, if it hit huge. Earth, would have been an extinction. You know, everyone would have died. It, it would have right, blotted out the sun. <laughs> Brian, off the top of your head, is Axis bigger than... I think it's bigger than Solomon. Is it bigger than a Balaku? Oh, I'm not sure. I'm sure you could look it up. I'm sure someone knows the size out there in some oh. guidebook. But, I mean, I, they don't really appear next to each other at any point in the series. So, I'm not... No. Off the top of my head, I wouldn't be able to say... A Balaku is pretty big as well. Yeah. I, I would say they're all comparable. Um, hmm. If they, They're all bases, right? So, I assume the bases are of similar size. Well, it's a mining colony that got turned into a base, so I'm going to... No, that's true. It might be smaller. But anyways, please continue. (laughs) Yeah. I will give Shar credit here. Both Fifth Luna and Axis are, you know, mining asteroid, former mining asteroid. So they're not colonies, and that makes sense, like, in-universe, because Shar wouldn't go around and gas the inhabitants of the colony to get his way. Shar is firmly on the side of the space noids. But I, I do like that, that in-universe, you know, he, he did not drop a colony, even if it was uninhabited, because I would think he would view that as, okay, someone could live there. Like, our people are hurting, and if they had nowhere to go, they could live in this colony. So he did not waste a colony. But this drop, unfortunately for Shar, did fail. It failed for a few reasons. One, the Lundo Bell uh, team did get onto Axis before uh, it hit, and they did detonate it, and they blew it in half. But one half was still headed towards the planet, and so Amro Ray, you know, committed his life to trying to stop this. He tried to basically push it away on his own with the power of his psycho frame in the new Gundam, and a bunch of other mobile suits from both Lando Bell and Neo Zeon uh, helped him push it away. What ended up really pushing it away was sort of the the unexplained miracle of Gundam, basically a big glowing green light occurred and the psycho power of the will of whether it's the pilots or all the population of, of the planet Earth sort of willed Axis away from Earth. You know, it turned course. out there was a new type inside of all of us. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So that, that event is called the Axis Shock. So while this was a failed colony drop, it was the biggest attempt. <laughs> Must have freaked everybody out in uh, Neo Zeon and Londo Bell watching from like the ships and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it probably would have looked pretty on? strange. Is this a Federation weapon? <laughs> yeah, it must have looked like a Aurora Borealis or something. Um, yeah, oh boy. Been, been pretty neat. I don't know. What What are your thoughts on the Axis shock, Isaac? I know this probably wasn't your favorite moment in the series, but. No, I have very mixed feelings about Char's Neo Zeon. Um, I almost wish he picked a different name <laughs> because, you know, we have two Neo Zeons, technically three Neo Zeons if you're counting the sleeves. So it's just a big thing. Um, <laughs> it's a mess. <laughs> I feel like there's multiple reasons for a lot of things that happened. Him choosing Axis was really distancing from, you know, the Zabi controlled Zeon or Zabi uh, sympathizers like Haman Karn. So he literally wanted to just 
erase every trace of that. And going off what you said, Brian, yeah, for someone that's a son of Zeon Zemdaiken, it would be very disrespectful beneath him and almost sacrilegious, blasphemous in a way to use a colony and drop that on Earth. You know, the colonies are supposed to be the future of humanity for Shars Neo Zeon. That was their whole ideology that, you know, all of humanity had to move to space. The Earth itself had to be just, you know, canceled. So, so <laughs> yeah, um, let, yeah. Let's be clear yeah. here. He was respectful for the to the space noids for not using a colony, but his goal was complete annihilation of you know the people living on Earth and their ability to live there. So, yeah, very polite true. on one hand, but very unpolite on the other hand. I'm sure there's a limit to how many of them could have become space noids, right? Because they'd have to evacuate using whatever ships are on Earth, whatever shuttles and mass drivers they can use on Earth, and then whatever spacecraft from the colonies that the colonies agreed to send would also have a limit so i'm not sure you can evacuate countless billions of people from earth after an asteroid or two asteroids have impacted it yeah i think a lot of people have been left to uh left to their fate if uh, neo zeon succeeded yep good thing they were fighting londo bell and londo <laughs> bell only does one thing and that's beat up Xeon and Neo-Xeon and the sleeves and anybody else that gets in their way. <laughs> Lando Bell does, you know, get stuff done. I'll give him that. And that that just, that pesky Amara Ray, you know, he's just uh, thorn in Char's side for 14 years. Just won't go yeah. away. They had the showdown and uh, it went the way you thought it would. <laughs> yeah. Amara put Char in his place. Char never got over a Bawaku. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Uh, yeah. All right, Isaac. I think that's that covers all of the uh, colony drop events in the Universal Century that I'm aware of. Are you aware of any others? Or should we move I'm on not, to another alternate universe? I'm not aware of any more in the Universal Century. But let me ask you this, Brian. Hmm. It seems like every time there's a colony drop in the Universal Century, we're told, oh my god, one more and the Earth can't take it. <laughs> <laughs> right? One more and that's the end of it. But it seems like there's, I guess the Earth is very good at recovering because they're always doing more colony drops or dropping <laughs> more things on Earth. I, I feel like, yeah, I could have sworn, like when they're talking about Operation British early on in the Universal Century, they're, they're saying things like, oh yeah, one more colony drop and that'll be it for Earth or it'll be the destruction <laughs> of Earth or... You know, and then we we get all the way to Shard's counterattack where Axis is, you know, oh, if the Axis falls, this will really be it. You know, we're, we're all, it's almost like a Death Star kind of situation where, like, no matter what Star Wars uh, series you're watching or whatever, the threat will always be some type of, you know, planet-destroying weapon or some type of super weapon. And, you know, oh, no, it's going gonna, it's gonna to attack us. And at the end, they stop it. And, you know, but the enemy keeps building a new one, keep using a new one. So it feels like it's a... It's, uh, Actually, yeah, I'll say this. The colony drop is the Death Star of Gundam. I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah. It's the, the, the biggest, most well-known super weapon. I mean, maybe there are some other weapons you might argue are a little more effective, but certainly from a thematic standpoint, the colony yeah. drop stands above all, I think. We'll, we'll talk about those weapons in <laughs> our super weapon podcast episode. Might not necessarily happen next time, but we'll see. But anyways, it's moving coming. along. Yeah, moving along, Brian. <laughs> what is the next series that features colony drops? And we're going to cut it there for this episode. Tune in next week for our thoughts on the colony drops from all of Gundam's alternate timelines. Until then, please like, comment, subscribe, and keep those Minovsky reactors warm. See you.